Good evening, and I want to continue to extend the welcome that's been given to, to you all this evening. Uh, my name is Jeremy, one of the pastors here, and I feel like we're, we're strangers. I haven't been able to be here as much on Sunday evenings, the way schedules have worked out. So it's really good to be here this week, and so glad Sunday night is my favorite night of the week. It's the time that we get to hang out, and we get to, to be the church, and we get to do church, and we get to, to hear God's word. It's where we find ourselves, here tonight in the middle of this season, in this beautiful night. And like Jamie said in the announcements, we don't believe it's an accident that you're here. So we believe that God called you here, each one of us here. And God called us here for a reason. God called us here to open the door to life. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the very first time, maybe you feel that in your life you've been on the doorstep of something great. You've never been able to obtain it. Every time you've approached the door, every time you've felt like you were so close to getting in, it feels like it's been locked. There's no entrance. No way to get in. Not a physical door. Not a literal door. It's a door to life. It's what we see being played out in that scene, in that movie, Gladiator. For me, it's one of my... Probably top three movies of all time. Probably says a lot about who I am and how sophisticated I truly am in my, you know, movie-watching, you know, life. But for me, it's Field of Dreams, number one. Embarrassingly, it's Tommy Boy, number two. It's just the way I roll. Saw Tommy Boy five times in the theater. It's my parents' money still at that point, so it was good. But Gladiator was right up there. Loved it. Not only did I love the story and love the way it played out, but I, but I loved the themes. It's the opening scene. It's the very opening scene where there's a guy by the name of Marcus Aurelius. He was the older guy. He's the Caesar. He's the king. He's the emperor. He's, he's the one who's the most powerful person in the most powerful nation in the world. Who calls this commander, this sergeant, this leader, the, the greatest warrior in the greatest army? Maximus. And he calls him. And he calls him because Marcus Aurelius knows that his life is not going to last much longer. He says it himself. He says, Maximus, I'm dying. I don't have much time left. And if you heard it, and if... If you, if you heard the sentiment behind it, it was a man who'd gained everything, who had more power, who had more authority. If you were to look under the surface, who, who had access to more wealth. I mean, to be the emperor, to be the Caesar of Rome at this time means that the world would be in your hand. But he asked the question, what's it all for? You ever asked that question? What's it all for? What's the meaning? What's the purpose? <laughs> the writer of this movie <laughs> knows scripture. Because you can't see that scene, you can't hear that scene and not be reminded of a man by the name of Solomon. 
who was King David's son. God had asked Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? If you could ask for anything, Solomon, what, what, what would it be? Anything you want, it's yours. You just ask for it. Solomon asks for wisdom. God says, Solomon, because you ask for wisdom, everything else will be given to you as well. Wealth, power, position. But somewhere along the way, Solomon realizes that it's not enough. Because it never is, is it? Do any of those things? I mean, sure, we would like to think and we'd like to dream that that position and power and wealth and fame could be the end for us, be the ultimate dream fulfilled in our lives. But deep down inside, we know that it's not enough. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, written, looking at his life in the rearview mirror, he says, meaningless. Somehow I get to the end of my life, I look at my life, and I wonder what was the point? Did I miss it? And if I missed it, how did I miss it? How, how did it slip through my hands? Once upon a time, it seemed like everything, that I was on the doorstep of something great, and somehow it was like trying to hold on to water, and everything seeps through. So what do people really get? What do they get for all their hard work? What are we shooting for? What's the, door we, what's the door we need to walk through, to enter into, to get to life, to find life? Not a life that's conditional on how things are going today. Not a life that, that can be gauged or measured or, or monitored or evaluated by the people around you. But a life that lasts. A life that fulfills, a life that, that satisfies. A life that you can build everything on top of. It's what's so incredible about this scripture passage that we just heard read for us a short time ago. We're in the middle of this series in the season of Lent, this 40 days not counting Sundays that lead us up to Easter. Where we look at, we're looking at these statements that Jesus made in his ministry. We, we call them the I am statements. Where Jesus isn't making just analogies or speaking in metaphors. Jesus is giving us a glimpse on, on who he is. The God in flesh. The God who, who came in human form. And what does that mean? And how does that impact our lives? Two weeks ago we heard from Jesus in, in John's gospel. John chapter 6. And, and Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And when you come to me and when you experience me, when you experience what I have to offer, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst for anything again. Last week we talked about John chapter 8. Where a woman had been brought before Jesus. A woman who had been caught. Caught in a sin that would cost her her life. And Jesus shows her grace. And Jesus says to her and to all who are around her, who couldn't quite figure out 
who he was and why he was doing the things that he was doing. Jesus says, I, I'm the light of the world. I'm a light that John says earlier in his gospel that shines in the darkness. No matter how dark it may seem, it can never overcome the light. Which leads us to this evening. When you read through the Gospels, when you read through the stories of Jesus, we, we get to all of these different chapters. And when you look at the chapters and you read through them, oftentimes we get from one chapter and before we hit the next chapter, we can tell and we can see that probably some sort of time has elapsed between one story and the next. I mean, it happened between John chapter 5, 6, 7, we get to 8. But to truly understand what's going on in John chapter 10, we need to look at what's happening in just the chapter preceding it. Because John chapter 9 and John chapter 10, those two stories, they run into each other directly. You can't understand one without knowing the other. You see, it's the beginning of John chapter 9 that Jesus and his disciples are walking and they see a man, a blind man, a man who's, who's begging, whose who's only hope to, to be able to provide for his daily needs is by the handouts that others would give to him. And Jesus' disciples, they were living and they were operating under an idea that I think a lot of us still operate with today. Because they see this man who's blind, who, who has to beg, who, who, who we could say from, from, from the outside looking in, who's living a life that's not blessed. If we're only gauging on outside appearances. And they want to know, why is it? Whose fault? They said, Jesus, whose sin was it? Because if somebody is in a place where they're suffering, surely something must have happened in order to cause that. Somebody's sin, somebody's fault resulted in this man being born blind. Whose sin was it? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? And because of his sin, this, this man's never going to be able to enter the door. I mean, figuratively, but literally, I mean, the center of religious life, the temple, the place where people would, would encounter the presence of God, where, where they could bring their requests and their needs. Well, the temple was closed off to, to people like him. And in fact, to even to associate with somebody like that would probably close the door for you as well. But Jesus doesn't see the man that the way everybody else does. And Jesus has compassion. Jesus says the door may have been locked for this man from your perspective, but, but not from mine. And Jesus heals him. He brings slight to the man's eyes, but also to his heart. 
the teachers in religious law, the, the Pharisees, the experts, they're enraged by what's just happened. Don't, doesn't, doesn't he know what's going on and what's gone on in this man's life? Doesn't he know that <laughs> there are barriers and there are limits that stand before people like him? Jesus tells a different story. Jesus doesn't just tell a different story. Don't miss that. Don't distance, don't let us distance ourselves from, from God's words so, so greatly. Je- Jesus doesn't just tell a great story, but, but he brings a new reality, in, not just to this man's life, but, but all of our lives. Jesus says to the people who, who don't understand and don't know and don't, don't have the ability to fathom why he would live and act in the way he is, he says, I, I'm the good shepherd. That's why I've come. There is a thief in this world. Don't need to read scripture to know that, do you? I mean, who here, if we're going to be honest, who, who here in this room doesn't have something that's happened in their life, in any of our lives, where we've realized, where we've recognized the limits that exist? That we know that the, the life that we want to live somehow stands beyond what we're able to experience and to see. And Jesus says there's a thief, and this thief's purpose It's to steal and to kill and destroy. Not just to inhibit us from experiencing life, but to take it from us and to convince us that maybe this is the best that it gets. Yesterday morning I was watching the Today Show. My, my kids were just getting up and they were kind of doing their own thing and I was watching the news, which I don't get to do that often. And it was interesting. It was like the daily buzz or something on that portion of the news. And I was really kind of struck by, by a comment that was made. They were talking about a, an article that had been done in the New York Times. And they were talking about this article and they're talking about the essence behind the article that, that, that somehow the way in which uh, people are starting to, to make sense of the world that we live in today be, because of the limits and because of the realities that we face, that the, the key to, to, to reversing the perspective that we have is to remind ourselves of one simple thing. To tell ourselves to cure, and I couldn't believe I was hearing this. I thought to myself, is this, where, is this the best that we have? The article was asserting that what we need to live by is to tell ourselves it, it could be worse. I thought to myself, really? Is that the best that we have? Is that the best that this world, is that the best that as, a, as a culture, as a society, is that the best to, to somehow convince ourselves, well, well, if I find myself in a situation, in, in, in a reality that isn't going the way that I want it to, where somehow I'm experiencing the fact that there's a thief, that, that there's a reality, that there's a brokenness to the world that I live in, 
that it's stealing, that, that, that's taking life from me. Is the, is, the, is, is the antidote to that to say, well, it could be worse? I thought to myself, say that to a person who's lost a loved one. Could be worse? Yeah, right. Say that to somebody who's lost a relationship that's been fractured. Could be worse. Say that to somebody who, who is so caught and so stuck in the cycle of addiction that they can't see the light at the end of the time. It could be worse. Really? Tell that to somebody who's received the word that the illness that they have is terminal. It could be worse. We need more, don't we? I mean, really. If, if that's the best, if that's the best that, that, that we have, that this world has to offer, we desperately need to know that there's something more. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of, of what Jesus says, not just to the people who... who who were crowding around to hear what he'd have to say, the response that he'd have to do something that, that seems so risky to them. But he says it to us as well. Yeah, there's a thief, and, and the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. But my purpose, the reason that I've come, not some pithy statement, not, not, not something to kind of to get you through today, but, but the reality, the grit, the flesh of what I'm about is to give you an abundant life, a rich, satisfying life, a life where you know that no matter what happens, and I don't say that flippantly at all, that no matter what happens, that doesn't get to dictate who you are and what stands behind the door of your life. I say, but yeah, but, but how, does, how does that happen? Because the door seems locked. You ever had that? Ever gotten locked out of the house before? I remember when I was a, a sophomore in high school. My parents always told me, they say, every time you leave, you, you need to remember your keys. You need to remember your keys. And I was a typical high school kid. But yeah, 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 yeah. Well, one day, my friend dropped me off. after. I think it was after basketball practice. It was in the spring. I don't know if we had an early out day or what it was. But I got home early. I knew my parents weren't going to be home for several hours. This was before cell phones. So my friend dropped me off. He drove away. And I get to the front door. And I check the front door. And it's locked. I can't get in. And I'm like, Oh, no, I forgot my keys. Well, luckily, there was a side door that went into the garage, and we never lock our kitchen. I mean, who does that? So I open up the garage door, I go to the kitchen door, and somebody locked it. Oh, great. So then I ran to the back, and I went to a sliding glass door, and I tried to get the sliding glass door. Not only was the sliding glass door locked, but there was also one of those bars that prevented entry. Because I lived in the rough streets of Fargo, North Dakota. You needed to be scared of things like that. So then I thought to myself, oh, we have the magical key rock. Remember those? 
the rocks that didn't look like rocks at all, that you'd put your key inside and hide it and put it in a rock bed and it didn't look like any of the other rocks. So I looked for the, the shrub where we kept the key rock, which always confused me because I would tell my mom and dad, we don't have rocks under those shrubs. We'll put it there. Nobody will ever know. It just, it's amazing to me that more homes weren't broken into, i.e. Fargo, North Dakota. So I go to the shrub. The, the key rock isn't there. I go to the front door. I peer through the window, and I see the key rock on the ledge right inside of the door. Oh, great. So I circle the house again, and I see on, on the back side of our house, that to, on the second floor, there was a window, and the window was to our bathroom, and it was cracked open, probably like three or four inches. Genius. We have a ladder in the garage. I'll go get the ladder. I'll bring it to the back of the house. And if I set, if I set the ladder against the house, I can get high enough, and surely I'll be able to get into the house. And I have really good luck with ladders. Anybody who knows me knows that I've never had a bad experience with a ladder. So I put the ladder up there, and I think to myself, I get to the top of the ladder, I can get to the window, and I can pry the, the, the window open a little bit. And I'll stick my finger through the screen, pop the screen out, and then I'll open up the window, and I'll gain entry into the house. So I start going through all of these steps, and I realize that I'm still at like this level of the window. And in order to get in, I'm going to need to jump. So I think, well, you know, I mean, I'm me. I'm like a superhero. I can do this no problem. So I jump off the top of the ladder, and when I jump, my shoulder hits the bottom of the window. And I kind of hang myself in there. And while I jump, I kick the, the, the ladder out from under me. So now I'm hanging about 15 feet off the ground with nothing to fall on. I told this story at our chapel service this morning, and my mom said to me after the service, she said, is that how the window got broken? <laughs> I said, Mom, the statute of limitations has passed. <laughs> and my dad said, there still is the will. So we'll see. <laughs> so I'm hanging there, and I'm wondering... How on earth am I ever going to get in? Just a press release, I did get in. I'm here today. But I thought to myself, if I only had the key. But we face those a lot in life. Doors that are locked. Doors that are in a place that we feel like they have been closed. the Pharisees, it was the teachers of the religious law, it was the custom and the religion of the time that had told that blind man that he couldn't get in. I don't know who it's been or what it's been for you, but here's the good news. Jesus says, I'm the gate. I'm the key. That word gate in the Greek that Jesus uses, it literally means entry point. The, the place that one would pass to enter into the place that they would dwell. Jesus says, I, I'm the gate. I, I'm the one who, who is the entry point. You, you feel like the doors of your life, that they have been locked, they have, they've been put up in a way to keep you out. Jesus says, I'm the gate. 
You come to me. You come to me and you'll find entry and admittance and welcome to life. You don't know how broken my life has become. All of ours, all of ours are. There's a guy who came into my office about four months ago. He's not from around here. He lives quite a ways from here, but worships with us online. sat across the desk from me and he sat down and he put his head into his hands and he said, Jeremy, I, my life is so broken. He said, you don't know me, I, I don't know you. He said, from the outside looking in, everybody thinks that I have my life together, but Jeremy, my, my life has never been as empty as it is right now. I've ruined everything in my life. I've ruined my job, I've ruined my marriage, I've ruined my friendships, I've ruined my relationship with my kids. I'm a shell of the person that I used to be. I just need to know. I just need to know, is there a hope for somebody like me? Is there something that, just, just, just tell me that somehow, that, that God, could, God could somehow love and, and care for somebody like me. And I said, it's, it's good news. Because no matter who you are or what you've done, he still knows you. He knows the infinite value that you hold. He created you. He created you in his image. He doesn't look at the brokenness of your life. He doesn't look at the decisions that you've made. He doesn't look at those in disappointment. He looks at those in agony because he wants so much more. Not out of anger, not out of spite. No, because it's who he is. He's life. He's light. There is no darkness in him at all. Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the gate. He says, I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd, Jesus says, the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. The good shepherd knows the value that each of the sheep hold, and the good shepherd would do anything to protect the sheep. It was, it was the people who would hear these words that were with Jesus would know that, that, that the good shepherds, the shepherds that were, that were worth their weight, the good shepherds, they, they would bring their sheep back into the sheepfold at the end of the day. And there was one entry point into their pen. And the shepherd at night would lay his body down. That if anything was going to get to those sheep, it'd have to get past the shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down. He's laid his life down 
says, my sheep know me. They know my voice. They recognize my voice. I call to them and they follow. My wife and our kids, they, they did a day camp at Living History Farms this past week. And they were with the farmer, and the farmer was with the kids, and the farmer was telling the kids how the farmer would call the sheep. The kids actually got to see this this past week. And I asked my son Trey, I said, how did he call the sheep? And my son looked at me and goes, sheep! <laughs> really, that's it? And the kids could yell it. The parents, they wanted to yell it, but they had too much self-respect to yell it. The parents could yell it, would the sheep come? No. But the shepherd, the one who took care of the sheep, sheep, all the sheep would come. It's kind of like Siri. Have you ever had this happen? This was bizarre to us. We, we, were, we were in an office. My wife and I last week we were in an office, and uh, we were having a conversation. We were working on our auto insurance because I may or may not have hit my nephew's car last week. I know, I felt the same way about it. So we were talking to her and we were going through all of those things. Most embarrassing day of my life because she also goes to church here. Awkward. No, I'm not a bad driver. Just hit a parked car in the driveway with no one around. But anyways, so we're having this conversation and all of a sudden in my wife's purse, it says, I'm sorry, Bridget, I didn't understand what you were asking. I'm like, what? And my wife goes, well, it's just Siri. I said, how did Siri know that you were? Well, Siri recognizes my voice. I can pick up my wife's phone and be like, hey, Siri, hey, Siri, hey, Siri. Siri doesn't pay me any attention. But my wife has a conversation in a room with other people, says something that resembles, hey, Siri. And Siri's like, I'm sorry, Bridget. I didn't understand what you were saying. Recognizes her voice. Maybe to be a little bit more serious about it. Put me in a room with a thousand kids and blindfold my eyes. I could pick my son or my daughter's voice out first time, every time. So Jesus says, they follow me because they know me. They know what I'm calling them to. This is what David's getting at in, in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Gives me all that I need. He leads me to good places. Even, David says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I know that you're with me. I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down, Jesus says. See, the thing that's so amazing, it's not, it's not some figment of your imagination. It's not some kind of like platitude that we put out there because we somehow want to convince ourselves that this is the, this is the mantra that's going to get us through the day. It's not some phony, kind of really thin, flimsy, kind of like self-help thing that says, well, it's okay because it could be worse. 
That's not how our God works. Thank God for that. We don't have a God that says, well, well, well just get through it because it could be worse for you. T- take, take pleasure in the things that you have. It could be worse. Now, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know your voice. You know my voice. I went to the cross for you to lay my life down. Not to get you through today, but to get you through eternity. To give you a rock, a foundation that you can set your life on that will never leave. No matter what you do, you can't distance yourself. The events of your life can't distance you from the love of God that pursues you from now until eternity. He is a good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life. He gives everything he has and gives it away freely so that we would find life, abundant life, satisfying life, a rich life, a life that isn't determined on the things that we have or the things that we do, but it's determined on the rich grace of Jesus Christ. It's Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock stand and I wait for you to let me in. Open your heart. Open your heart to the promise that he has for you. He's the key. He's the key to eternal life, but he's the key to salvation which frees us to live today. The song that we're going to close, it has this incredible Song that we sing over, line that we sing over and over. I'm a good, good father. I'm a good, good father. I give you life. I give it abundantly. Maybe that's what you need today. Come to him. Jesus says, come all you who are weary. And I'll give you rest. I'll give you life.